and welcome to the Hoop Collective Podcast. We talk about the NBA, which we're doing on Sunday evening. Joining us from Las Vegas, Nevada, where he is still at the Team USA training camp ahead of the World Cup. They play their lone U.S. exhibition on Monday night against Puerto Rico in Vegas. Tim Bontemps. Hello, guys. You are earning your salary out there this week. Many stories. Trying. I'm trying. A rarity. A rarity. Also earning his salary. Joining us from Dallas, Texas, it's Ben McMahon. Howdy, partners. How you boys doing? We're doing great. How are you doing? Man, I'm just hanging in there. Hanging in there. The IT department's on a business trip, so trying to keep the house from burning down. And the, the good news is it ain't like I'm cooking anything, so it probably won't be too big of a problem. <laughs> Uh, there's other ways. That's a list of things you're not doing at the moment. (laughs) He is doing one thing though. Yes, he is. All right. So Bontemps, you've uh, filed numerous stories um, from Team USA. Um, There's been a lot of interesting things happening. The one that I read with great interest, however, above all the others was not even about Team USA roster. That was the story that you wrote after watching the select team play the senior team, I guess we'll call it. They, they let you see a couple of scrimmages, I think, the second day of practice. And you took away something from that and wrote about it. Uh, what was that? The Cade Cunningham is back and looks really good. And I, I think, you know, we we talked on the last spot about young players across the league, and he, we didn't talk about Cade for good reason. He only played 12 games last year. He had this stress fracture in his leg that he had surgery on. It cost him basically the entire season. But being out here, at Team USA camp, seeing him both Friday and Saturday in the scrimmages that the select team played against the senior national team, he looked great and looked like a guy that could have easily been on the senior national team, if not for the fact that he was dealing with the stress fracture. He hadn't played all last year, and I think they wanted to make sure he ramped up properly for the season. But they had him in a Luka Doncic-type role on Friday during the scrimmages. You know, the select team is basically here to mimic what the opposition is going to do during the tournament. Cade Cunningham is essentially the same size as Luca. They had him playing the same way, and he was tearing Team USA apart. He was getting Jalen Brunson in the post, doing whatever he wanted. He was hitting Jalen Duran on duck-in uh, passes for layups and dunks. He was able to get wherever he wanted on the court. And that was the case on Saturday, even when the senior national team throttled the select team in the scrimmages, which is sort of how this thing usually goes. The select team plays well the first day and the national team comes back and takes care of business the second day. But thought Cade looked really good. And if I'm a Pistons fan, seeing him bulked up, but not in a, a heavy way, like just bigger and stronger and getting where he wanted on the court, I think he's got a chance to have a really nice year for them this year. And it was just a reminder that this guy who was sort of out of our mind this past year because he wasn't on the court, is still very much in play in Detroit, and I think it's got a chance to be very, very good. Yeah, it's interesting, uh, the Luca thing, because that was the, I'm going to say, very optimistic comp for him coming out of college, just because you're talking about, you know, a, a obviously a really big point guard. I mean, he's a he's a small forward, even power forward size guy like Luca who is going to have the ball in his hands, is is going to play the point. I think it's probably a bit much to think that he's going to, you know, be a guy who can average 39 and nine, like we've seen Luca do. But, you know, you go back to the last 20 games he played his rookie season. You you always got to be careful doing too much with these late season numbers. The, The Pistons were, you know, trying to get a little something going. Obviously you're dealing with a lot of teams that are, shutting things down for whatever reason at that point. But post-All-Star break that year, the last 20 games he played, Pistons went 9-11. and 11. He put up basically 21 and rounding up 6-7. Uh, and seven. So, you know, relatively small sample size. You know, uh, again, let me put it in the proper context of what the circumstances were, but still a pretty impressive uh, run. And then last year, obviously not healthy shut down for the vast majority of the season. And like you said, kind of forgotten, but it's not like there was a lot of debate about who the number one overall pick was going to be in that draft. He was the guy who all year long was being talked about as, woo, you know, this is the dude who can be the face of a franchise coming out of this draft. Always a guy who 
was known to be on a development curve. Not that most rookies aren't, but when the Pistons picked him, they knew that he would be, you know, he would probably take a few years to get where they needed to, um, has not shot the ball. Well, has mm-hmm. not shown good shooting prowess. Not that that is the only thing that matters, obviously. Um, but hasn't looked good and hasn't shot the three pointer. Well, um, also hasn't gotten to the line with the kind of regularity that if you're not going to shoot the three, well, a guy of his size would need to, um, that said his skill set on his frame mm-hmm. is incredibly impressive. And one of the things that not just Bontemps wrote about, but that other people who were there wrote about and some scouts that I talked to talked about was his ability to get where he wanted on the court. Uh, and by routinely, as Bontemps just mentioned, beating his man. And uh, that is most important because that shows life in the legs. I wasn't there, didn't see it. But from what I understand, that bounce in the leg, which is what you're worried coming back off of a leg injury. I think he said to you, Bontemps, that he had no worries about that leg, that that injury had completely healed and he felt good about it. And while you thought he added muscle, he actually was at the same weight. Uh, so he just added some muscle mass, um, but still looked pretty quick, which is not something you not always necessarily expect to see when a guy misses. Geez, he went out in November. So that's nine, months. Not nine, nine, ten months. Yeah. No, he, he looked great. And, you know, one of our friends was there watching these practices. And when I walked in on Friday, the first thing they said to me was, this guy's on the wrong team. And obviously, and what'd you say? Oh, you, he's on the wrong, as it being the select team. Yes. On the select team. I I think there's some things that are pretty wrong about his NBA team as well that I want to get to, but go on. Well, yes, no, that, that was not, that was not what they were referring to is the fact that he could be on the national team. And like I said, obviously this thing could look a lot different if he was on the national team, but I think we're going to get to the, the overall group in a second. The other thing I would say, just about Team USA in general, you know, Steve Kerr was very happy with the way this training camp went. They are in a pretty good place as a group. And the the most interesting thing to me about the way this has played out is this team is very clearly going to play small. They typically Team USA has typically played small in the fast in the past. They're going to do that again quite clearly. And I think with the way this is shaken out, you know, we're going to see a lot of Jalen Brunson, a lot of Mikael Bridges, a lot of Jaron Jackson Jr. And then it's going to be interesting to see who the other two guys in the starting lineup are. And in particular, who's going to be the guy that steps up late in games? Because that is sort of the one lingering question about this team, which I think they've put together really well um, and is pretty balanced and can do a lot of different things and play a lot of different ways. If this is a tight game with two or three minutes to go, who's going to have the ball and who's going to be the guy they count on to get a bucket? Is it going to be Jalen Brunson? Is it going to be Anthony Edwards? Is it going to be Brandon Ingram? Is it going to be somebody else? Uh, that that I think is sort of the the lingering question that's going to hang over this group. But so far, they're pretty happy with where things are at. Never really know for sure. The fact that they're playing Spain in Spain, although Ricky Rubio is not going to be there. He um, announced on Friday that he's taking um, a leave of absence from his uh, career, which includes the Cavs uh, indefinitely to deal with um, mental health, to focus on his mental health. So they're not going to have him. He was the MVP of the 2019 World Cup. And Spain is actually the number one uh, ranked player in or number one ranked team in the world after they won Eurobasket last year, beat France in the final. Rubio didn't play in that because he was coming back from the ACL. But they're also down um, Lorenzo Brown, who's a naturalized Spanish citizen, um, plays in Europe, uh, plays for Maccabi Tel Aviv. He has a issue. So he was um, one of the stars of the team last year. He's out. Rubio is now stepped back, but the fact that they're going to get to play Spain in Spain, they're going to get to play uh, Slovenia, which I hope Luca plays that game just for, you know, testing them. Although there is a back-to-back involved in that, those games in Spain, then they get to play the Greeks who've looked good in um, so far, even without Giannis and they play Germany, a team that um, has been in the Olympics recently. So they get to play some European teams, on the road. And I think that will be a good test. Um, when the U S team has been challenged, 
it has often shown up in the exhibition games. For example, um, when they lost the 2004 um, uh, games in, you know, they got the bronze medal in, in Athens um, in the run-up games that they had in Europe, they did not look good. They didn't lose any of them, but they really looked shaky um, in the 2019 ahead of the world cup where they finished seventh. Uh, they got beat by the Australians. It was in Australia. It was in front of like 70,000 people, but they hadn't lost at that point in competition in more than a decade. And so the fact that they got beat was an indication that they were beatable. And then in 2021 in the Tokyo Olympics, they got beat twice in the run-up games um, and then lost the first game of the, of the Olympics before getting their foot, getting their footing. So while I do think that um, them looking good uh, is a good sign, I think there's a good vibe. I think it, it is a, a good attitude on the team from what I can tell. Um, we will learn a lot by those four games they're going to play uh, overseas uh, in that run-up. Um, but McMahon, you were speaking briefly about the Pistons who have had a, you know, now that they're getting Cade Cunningham back, they had a bunch of salary cap space this summer. And they basically, instead of using it in free agency, they used it to absorb contracts from other teams, uh, specifically Joe Harris, who they took from the Nets, and Monty Morris, who they took from the Wizards, um, basically got them for free. I think they acquired draft picks for taking their contracts uh, on. Um, I'm not sure if, I don't even know if they signed a free agent of note. Um, they, did, they didn't they manage did to add like a, a ninth center to the roster? because those. <laughs> well, are- they extended uh, Isaiah Beef Stewart, mm-hmm. uh, Beef Stew. Uh, they did extend his contract um, just to make sure. They did uh, you know, obviously draft Asar Thompson. That is, you know, if you're, if you're a Pistons fan, you're excited to see him play. And right. you're excited to see Cade come back, and that that right there, I think is going to bring you to the to the table in in October. But you are voicing what a lot of people do is that their roster is imbalanced. Well, it's just it's uh, you know I get like you're you're taking Jaden Ivey uh, last year, you're grabbing Asar Thompson this year, just because you know when you're drafting top five, you're you're not picking for to fill you know a need. But if you have a guy like Cade Cunningham, you better be able to space the floor, surround him with a bunch of shooting. So I'm not quite sure how their three recent top five picks all fit together. And then I love Duran. Um, Bon Timps, it sounds like he's been pretty damn impressive in those uh, USA versus select scrimmages as well. It sounds like that duo has done a lot of clicking. Um so can can he just play center and like get James Wiseman the hell out of the way, please? I mean, they sent him a summer league and Dern's playing power forward, or I don't know who's like whatever. One of them's playing power forward, one of them's playing center. Like, what, what are you doing? And then you've got Bagley and Stewart. It's just like there's a lot of bodies clogging things up, which is the exact I mean, opposite. Boyan Bogdanovich is a power forward when your right. team is when you're spacing the floor. And so, you know, by the way, Joe Harris, arguably one of their best players. Yeah. So they've got like Harris. I I think it's a, you know, forget about the contract. Like, okay, you're at least getting shooting, but your shooters are guys who need to play the four. And I, I, I get taken a flyer on Wiseman. Hey, the guy was a number two overall pick. Maybe you can salvage something there reclamation project. But if he's playing next to Duran, I want to vomit. And if he's taking minutes away from him, whatever the next step from vomiting is, is what uh, (laughs) my impulse is. Yeah. It's a weird, it's a weird roster with weird, with weird fits. And it's going to take some time for them to get it to a place where you feel good about it. I think from a, like you said, from a ballot standpoint, because certainly you look up and down their team, it just doesn't make a lot of sense. Now, some of that will be Kincaid take some significant step forwards as a shooter his shot looks fine. He made a three in the scrimmage in the scrimmages this week. I don't think there's any issues with it being a broken jump shot. I, I don't anticipate him being unable to become a solid average shooter over time. But like you said, Ivy is up and down as a shooter. Thompson, certainly not known as a shooter. 
They're playing all these bigs. I like the Isaiah Stewart extension as a value. Right. It's basically the mid-level, and I think he's a nice player. But as you referenced, you now have four guys that might be centers between Bagley, Stewart, Wiseman, and Duran that you're probably trying to jam into two positions. Like, it's just a roster that feels incomplete. And it's also one that, frankly, is geared toward, I mean, I don't think intentionally, but they're clearly not going to be that good again, I think, this year because they're still a year away from having the right kind of ecosystem around K that's going to make sense. And part of, I think, what this year is going to be is them taking a look and seeing this roster and which guys fit and which guys don't, and then starting to, you know, from a long-term planning standpoint, hopefully start to prune some of those guys away and say, okay, we've got a couple, we got our two or three guys around K that we like. Then we start to add from there going forward. Well, I will say this. Uh, you said that Cade was playing the Luka Doncic role. Who's playing the uh, Shea Gildas Alexander role? Because <laughs> that's the guy they need to start re- be worrying about as well. Um, I would agree. He was probably and, doing some of that too. Yeah, he's built like him. Uh, and like Shea, you know, Shea is not a three point shooter. He is a guy who has developed an incredible mid range game and doesn't really care what anybody thinks about it. Not that now, I mean, now he's an all NBA player. It doesn't matter, but it's really focused on what his development was. And so I'm not implying that Cade has to follow the traditional path of shooting threes, but he does shoot like six threes a game. And he, he makes, um, he's made like 30% or less of them in his NBA career. So, um, but uh, yeah, uh, Shay and Luca definitely up there. Um, but as for the oh, Pistons, listen, you you got to put them in that order according to Bond Temps. Ooh, folks yeah. in Dallas, they're there. Bond Temps, I can't. If you ever come through here, I don't think I can invite you to dinner because there's going to be an angry mob following you. Well, we'll see. Shay's pretty good. So's Luca. I'd be happy with either. By the way, the, the Slovenians did take a very unfortunate hit. Uh, Luca is now going to be the lone player uh, playing for them in the World Cup because Vlock- lone NBA player. I'm sorry, right? The lone NBA player, lone active NBA player. You know, obviously, we've talked about Dragic isn't playing there anymore, or at least not now. And then uh, Vlako Chanchar um, tore his ACL. Very unfortunate deal. Transition dunk landed funny. Um, obviously, really a huge hit for the Slovenians, and then. Uh, another blow to the Denver Nuggets depth for next season. Yeah, he was going to get a chance to actually, you know, he'd sort of just been on the team the last few years and sort of in the background. But with the moves they made this summer, he had a chance to really carve himself out a significant rotation role. That's why it was such a bummer. I mean, obviously, it's just a bummer to see a guy get hurt, but he was going to get a chance to be a a huge, he's probably going to be their number two guy with Luca, right? On the Slovenian team. For sure. Like really get a chance to showcase himself and then get a chance to, Parlay that into a rotation spot with Denver. And obviously that's all off the board now. Yeah, obviously he's a massive part of, of Slovenia's team. I mean, he was, uh, you know, started for their Eurobasket championship team back in 17, started for their Olympics team that, that made a run, didn't get a medal, but got to the medal round. Um, and then in, in Denver, he played last season, but he was the ninth man on a team going to an eight man rotation in the playoffs. So anyway, it's just a, a bummer. Also on the real the real brutal thing is he probably misses the Olympics too next year. I mean, it's going to be hard to come back. I mean, he might come back and play, but it's going to be hard to come back in a year. Like the timing of it is just especially unfortunate from that standpoint, like, cause they're certainly going to be in the mix to make the Olympics and they might not have an incredibly important part of their team for both tournaments. Yeah. Well, also- the thing about it is, is that the way you, the generally the way you qualify for the Olympics is at the world cup. There's Spain or um, France is already in because they're hosting. And then seven other spots of the 12 come out of the World Cup. So, you know, Slovenia had a chance with the way things were lined up to qualify for the Olympics. Maybe they still will. Maybe Luka will power them through it. But, you know, even if they're not going to win the championship, just having a very good tournament where you advance to the quarterfinals could get you into the Olympics. And now that's even in doubt. The Slovenians qualified for the uh, Olympics last time around through the um, qualification tournament right at the end, just before the, uh, the, in the summer, before the Olympics started, maybe they'll be able to do that again. They had to do that without Luca last time. So, but what I wanted to say no, about they, the Pistons. They sealed it last time with Luca, like the last game. Oh, oh, Luca was there. Right. And it was. Oh, I didn't remember Lithuania. that. 
against Lithuania. Well, if you got Luca, I'll play any. I'll play anywhere in Europe. I hear what you're saying, but (laughs) you're playing, you know, uh, Sabonis and Valanciunas, and I don't. You've seen. You've seen. uh, I'm sure Lithuanian crowds. Oh Oh, yes, like they they bring drums. I saw the Lithuanians in Germany. I can only imagine what the Lithuanians are like in their own homeland. You know, in their on their own turf. Um, and Luca half get the exact thing. It was like I think it was like a thirty-one point triple double or something, just insane. Luca's got a pretty incredible international record of performance already, and that that was pretty high up on the list. Winning that game in Lithuania to get in the Olympics that that was a a very impressive accomplishment. Yeah, so that's also a factor. But look, Luca, I'm not ruling anything out with Luca. Uh, I'm they they can they can pull anything off, but that's a that's a factor. So. Um, but just before on the Pistons, before we move on, people talk about how many bigs they have. The amount of point guards they have is now a thing. I mean, Cade is back. He's going to be their starter. They drafted Jaden Ivey. They traded for Monty Morris. I know that Killian Hayes hasn't been impressive and has been a letdown. What was he, the seventh pick in the draft? He was, he was the seventh pick. It's only going to be his, he's 22. They were trying to trade um, him this summer, though. No, he I understand. Not, yeah, he will not be a factor in this. I understand. Uh, the point discussion. is, they keep acquiring guards. They keep mm-hmm. acquiring guards. Uh, I mean, they they re-signed Corey Joseph. I, I don't expect him to play much, but they got they got five guys on their roster who are considered point guards. Yeah, I plus mean, I, th- I I yeah, <laughs> plus Jared Jack. I I uh, I like the the Monty Morris fit for them. I think for a young team like this, you can play him with Ivy. You could play him with. Cade, he can get them into offenses. He can orchestrate for other guys. And I, I think I like that pickup, especially getting them essentially for nothing. I, I really thought it was a pretty slick move. And I think if those are your three guards, you know, again, Ivy's got to take a step forward in particular. Cade needs to stay healthy. But I, I like that three, those three guys. I think that's a good starting point, especially, you know, Monte's a, a Flint guy. You think he'll be interested in staying there longer term. Um, but then the questions are, what are you going to have on the wing and what are you going to have at the four spot? Because right now, as Tim very nicely laid out earlier, they've got a lot of centers and not a lot. Well, else you got a Zara Thompson court. on the wing, but you also got Alec Burks, a guy who can shoot the ball, which they need. It's just it's just it's an imbalanced roster. They're they're primed for a trade and they're primed we'll for a see. bunch of trades. Yeah, we'll, we'll see. It just they're, they're a team to watch. For a number of reasons, uh, not necessarily to be at the top of the standings, but there could be in transition. More Hoop Collective podcast after this. Two guys drove to work. Neither guy wore a seatbelt. One guy got a ticket. One guy didn't. The same two guys drove home. One guy wore a seatbelt. One guy didn't. One guy made it home. The guy not wearing his seatbelt didn't. Don't risk it. Click it or ticket. Paid for by NHTSA. You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes, catch the clutch hitch, strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems with nothing on your roof. So who's ever up there, whether it's the roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, you name it, they won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, root, root with nothing on your roof. Yes, stream your team. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit DirecTV.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Okay, uh, Bontemps, one of the things that you have been talking about coming out of this week is how even though they're getting ready to leave uh, Tuesday to go overseas to Spain, that the undercurrent happening with Team USA is not just the 2023 World Cup, but the 2024 Olympics, which has a chance to be the most prolific Olympic tournament, the most intensely competitive Olympic tournament in the modern era. I don't know where you want to draw the line. Um, 2004, obviously when the U with last time the U S didn't win was a pretty competitive Argentina won. 2008, the redeem team going up against Spain, Spain was at its best. 
Mm-hmm. That game came right down to the end. Obviously, they made a documentary about it. But while the last one was pretty darn competitive too. The last one was competitive, but was there was this, it was a little bit depressed because COVID and we didn't have the total best of the best. The finals literally happened a couple of days before the Olympics started. It was a little odd. This one being in France, the possibility of France being brutal to deal with on their home floor, the uncertainty of Joel Embiid, whether he'll play, whether he'll play for the U.S., whether he'll play for France, the uncertainty of what Victor Wimbanyama could be, Nikola Jokic possibly with Serbia can qualify, uh, Doncic with Slovenia. It's already, it's lining up like it's going to be the toughest you know, mountain that the U.S. had to climb since 2008. Um, and that's not a commentary on the U.S. It's a commentary on how hard every, everything else is going to be. And so already there's some discussion about who might be on that team. We are not going to be able to send a non-A team and take the gold medal. It, I'm just going to tell you right now. It doesn't have to be the, the three best or four best American players we got, but it's got to be a number of the top 10 American guys. And some guys are sitting out this summer getting ready to play next summer. You know, I think, I think Jason Tatum is a guy who he's been a part of the last couple of team USA's, you know, he's dealing with a wrist injury coming out of this year. Take this summer off. I think he's on the team next summer as an example. So bond temps, what are some of the things that have been discussed uh, with folks around team USA uh, about how this team will set up for that team? I mean, I would say it's even less about discussion within the team itself. They're pretty focused on what's ahead of them right now. It's just the people who are here around the team are talking about next summer because it it's going to be pretty fascinating to see who is on the team, because I don't think this is going to be a question of uh, trying to get an A team over there. I think there's going to be a lot of guys who want to play in this Paris Olympics who are not going to be put on the team. And I, I think it's going to be very difficult. There's going to be some very difficult decisions made in terms of who's going to play and who's not. You, I mean, part of the reason we're having this discussion is Trey Young was on Gilbert Arenas' podcast and was talking about the fact that I want to be, I would love to play on Team USA. We'll see if they want to have me as part of it. And I think there are a lot of guys who are expressing interest or have privately expressed interest in being part of this Paris Olympics for all the reasons you just said being over there. It's obviously a place players like to go a bunch of guys in the NBA have gone there for various things this summer already. You've mm-hmm. got certainly the Embiid thing. That's been a longstanding topic of discussion in these circles. Is Embiid going to play? What team will he play for? If he does play, that will be interesting. And if you go through the elite players, you go back, like if Devin Booker wants to play, he probably is going to play. If Jason Tatum wants to play, he's probably going to play. I think off of this year's team, I think the most likely guys to be on that team next year are Jaron Jackson Jr., Mikael Bridges, and Jalen Brunson. Steve Kerr loves Jalen Brunson. That has been very clear as this week has gone on. He's repeatedly called him the guy he looks to as the leader of this team. And, you know, then you've got Steph Curry, never played in the Olympics. Is he going to play for Steve Kerr? Next year in Paris, you have Draymond Green, who obviously has played for Steve Kerr for a long time. He played in Tokyo. Is he going to come back and play? You've got Bam Adebayo, who's probably the best American big, uh, especially assuming Joel Embiid does not play for Team USA. Uh, Bam's coach, Eric Spolstra, is sitting on the bench as the probably heir apparent to take over for Steve Kerr. I would think Bam will be back and play next year. But you start you Kevin Durant has played in a ton of Olympics. If he wants to play, he would walk into the team. That's already six, seven, eight guys right there before we even really start to get into anything beyond that. So I, I think there's this summer, you could call it a B team pretty clearly. Next summer, I'd be stunned if it's anything close to a B team. And I think there's going to be some very difficult conversations had about guys that will want to play and will be told, yeah, it's there's not room for you on the roster. I would say one guy there'd be room for would be LeBron. Uh, any idea? Well, that's another interesting one. Yeah. Any idea what his interest would be and what I would assume would be his last Olympics if he decided to give it a go? He never rules it out, typically, uh, until the end. Like if you got him today to talk about it, I'm sure, well, right now he's dealing with a family issue, but he typically will leave the door open. 
Um, but he has now not played in over a decade. So that's obviously a factor. Plus, he likes spending time with his family at, you know, his boys AAU events in the summer. Um, not sure how this, you know, the, the Olympics come much earlier. They, they would be going on right now. The, they, they happen the last week of July and the first, I think it's like July 27th through like August 10th or 11th, something like that. Yep. So you're going to start the training process really around the start of July. So you're really cutting into the heart of the summer there. This is coming towards the end of summer. But um, I would think that Draymond Green, number one, equity from 2021. Number two, equity with Steve Kerr. Mm-hmm. Um, and his all of everything that he means to a team personified. So I know that you're potentially looking at dealing with great size if you're dealing with the French, if you're dealing with Jokic. But Draymond Green... I think to me, probably if he wants it, has a spot uh, sitting there. Uh, I would say the three bigs will be Bam, Jaron, and Draymond. That would be my guess. Assuming they're all healthy and able to go, I would think that'll be the three bigs on the team. Uh, unless Embiid decides to play. And then uh, you could play Jaron at the four, but that's the wild card. Well, you I don't, don't think we also don't know how the season's going to go. What if what if Chet Holmgren comes out and looks absolutely breathtaking and wins rookie of the year running away and is blocking everything in sure. sight and shooting 40% from three? Well, look, you know? there's him. There's Cade Cunningham, right? Like he could blow up this year. Certainly he's got the, we just talked about how he's got the kind of size to be a factor in international ball. Tyrese Halliburton is a guy Steve Kerr clearly likes a lot. And, he could come out and have a big time year for Indiana this year. Um, you've got guys like Drew Holiday, who were who was a massive part of the last Olympic team. Now he's going to be a free agent, so we'll at least Drew Holiday as of now. and Devin Booker both were excellent, and Drew Holiday and Devin Booker were both key parts. Holiday's inclusion for the you know he came if you remember in Tokyo, Devin Booker, Drew Holiday, and Chris Middleton flew over to Tokyo on a private jet. Mm-hmm. Like three days after, well, it was a little bit longer than that. It was like two days after the parade. And, you know, Booker is all business. When they got over there, of course, all we wanted to do was ask him about that flight. You know, what was that flight like? And um, Booker was basically like, I slept. <laughs> um, and, but anyway, uh, the difference between Holiday at the beginning of that tournament and the end when he got his feet underneath him was night and day. He was incredibly valuable for sure. And then Booker, as well. Uh, Jalen Brown is a guy that I was thinking I was, I couldn't remember. Jalen Brown is, is a guy who has played for team USA before and sure. his skill set. Uh, and I also expect Jalen to have a great year this year for all these people who think that he got overpaid. He's a good player. The Celtics won a ton of games with him, uh, with his hand on the joystick over the last few years. So Jalen Brown's another guy who would have a strong case. Well, yeah. Brown, I mean, he- like the whole contract thing, he'll ha- he'll have the highest contract in NBA history for one year. Who cares? Yeah, and then then Jason Tatum will pass him. But yeah, you've got. I mean, here's just a list of some guys who will be in the mix for this. You because we just mentioned some of them, right? I'll go down the list: Steph, Devin Booker, Jason Tatum, Draymond Green, Bam Adebayo, Jaron Jackson Jr. Some of the guys from this year's team: Mikael Bridges, Anthony Edwards could certainly have a big year next year. Jalen Brunson, we talked about him. Steve Kerr absolutely loves him. He could certainly have another huge year next year. Donovan Mitchell, another guy who has played in the past, could certainly want to be part of it. You mentioned Jalen Brown. Does Jimmy Butler want to play? He would certainly be a guy that would be pretty interesting playing for Team USA. Certainly a winning player. Eric Spolster will be likely on the staff. He'll be on the staff for sure. So we haven't talked about Kevin Durant. Does he decide to play? He would certainly walk into the team like that's that's just a off the top of the head, 12, 15 guys right there. I'm also going to say a name. You may poo-poo it, but Zach Levine was very good for Team USA in Tokyo. And again, if you've got equity, I know he didn't have the greatest year this last year. If you've got equity with the team, you have a leg up. In getting I, a spot. I, I, I mean, he does, but I think he's going to be pretty far down the list. I would say all three of the guys that I mentioned earlier on this year's team would be ahead of him. How many American point guards would you pick over Trey Young? I would pick Steph. I would pick Jalen Brunson. Mm-hmm. I would pick Tyrese Holiday. Halliburton. Mm-hmm. I would probably pick Drew Holiday. I would pick Holiday, Holiday just because of what he can do defensively. No, I mean Drew. Drew, I definitely would. That's all right. Trey Young, I don't think will we, be on the team. De'Aaron, De'Aaron Fox. De'Aaron Fox. 
potentially. Yeah, he's certainly I, in the mix too. I I, I heard Trey Young did not make a great case for himself during his previous time in the Team USA program. Well, I here's the thing: a camp or mini camp, something like. I heard that was a. I still don't 100 percent know everything that went on there. I will tell you that in 2019, before China, Trey was on the select team. The U.S. needed a point guard, and Greg Popovich promoted Derek White, Mm -hmm. who obviously was his point guard at the time. And Trey Young and De'Aaron Fox both. I believe I know Trey Young. I feel like Fox. I have to check myself, but I thought Fox looked pretty good in that we were able to see parts of the practices and the scrimmages. I thought De'Aaron Fox looked really good, but uh, he didn't make it. There was with, he withdrew or something. And then Trey uh, withdrew because he had pink eye. So he said, I'm sure he, I'm not saying he didn't have pink eye. Well, I also heard at, at one point, a question was presented to Trey Young, something along the lines of, are you ever going to go over a bleeping screen? Well, look, the bottom line is in FIBA ball in particular, small guards struggle. And Trey is a small guard who is not a physically strong guard either. Unlike, say, Jalen Brunson, who certainly isn't a big guard, but like Kyle Lowry, who was at Team USA practice today, and Chris Paul, even who was at Team USA practice today, are certainly those certainly bigger, stockier, more physical guards who can hold up better in the FIBA game. I mean, Trey, Drew Holiday's Trey, not 6'7". He's like, was he 6'3"? Well, Drew Holiday's 6'3 or 6'4", and he's also built like a tank. But again, well, that's right. Like, well, they're all built like, well, so is Lowry. Okay. Well, but he's... Drew Holiday looks like a freaking middle linebacker. Trey he's Young. also... Yes. He's also several inches taller than Trey Young. Like, that. that's why I brought up Chris Paul and Kyle Lowry, because those guys are around his height. And Jalen, they're all around his height, but they're big, stocky guards. You can't win in FIBA with small, slight guards. We saw that in 2019 when Kemba Walker was the lead guard and he had a lot of trouble. Even, I mean, I know Dame was dealing with an injury. He even had trouble uh, a couple of years ago and he is obviously a higher level player than Trey. So yeah. Trey's a really good he player, but I think the there's a lot of guys on the list ahead of him. Dame's play was probably one of the biggest disappointments in Tokyo. I was talking about all the guys that played well and, um, the story came out later that he ended up having the uh, abdominal surgery. So the, the Olympics were in August. He had the abdominal surgery, I want to say, in December or January. Yeah. And the story came out later that he was, you know, talking about it and showing Drew Holiday what his issues yeah. were. And Holiday was like, "Yeah, well, you're gonna ha- you're gonna need surgery." He had had the surgery earlier in his career. And he basically, and I, I'm not saying that Dame didn't know that, but like. He was definitely dealing with something there. It was well, a, look, um, let's say what if Dame is another has another first team all NBA season this year? Like he's another guy that certainly could be in the and Eric Solstra's on year. the staff. I mean, well, uh, sorry. <laughs> point is, I don't think there's going to be any shortage of guys trying to get on this team. And uh, it's it's not going to be well, like that is this a problem, year. though. I mean, sometimes there is a shortage. And two things have happened in the Grant Hill era that weren't always the case in the Jerry Colangelo era. Number one, there's no, no, they didn't call to tryout, but they would often carry more than 12 guys on the senior team. It was very, it was very clearly, it was very clearly a tryout. I mean, there were certain guys who were not going to have to try out because they were going to be on the team, but they, it was like a high school team. They would have cuts and they would cut several guys and guys didn't like that. Understandably. Probably a painful right. subject for you, Humbon Timps. I did not get cut. I was on the team. That's right. You only had like 12 kids at your whole school. My bad. <laughs> Go on. I didn't I didn't say we had 50 kids try out. I just said I didn't get cut. <laughs> the other thing is, is, you know, under Krzyzewski and Colangelo, they wanted like a multi-year commitment from players. Mm-hmm. And so they were like, if you want to play in the Olympics you've got to show up for the world cup or you've got to show up for training camp or have a good reason why you didn't. And even if you couldn't play, they wanted you to come to Vegas and put in FaceTime with, even if you were just standing on the sideline for a few practices, that's not the case for Grant Hill. Grant Hill openly said he's not expecting that. And last summer, which was a summer where uh, was in between the Olympics and the world cup, Kerr just said, we're not doing anything. No meeting of anything. That's not how Krzyzewski rolled mm. or Popovich. They, even if they didn't have any on a competition in the summer, 
they'd bring the guys to Vegas for three or four days. And look, they're coming out of COVID and all that stuff. I'm not saying that was wrong. I'm just saying that's a differentiation. Um, well, so now they had the 12 players named. I mean, they, before training camp started, they put out the uniform numbers. This is what everybody's going to wear. And the 12 players were named, no cuts. And if you didn't play this summer, don't worry. We hope to have you next summer. And it's an indication of, you know, dealing with, you know, players having a lower interest, lower tolerance. So while we may go down the list here, it seems like you got a wealth of choices. I still think it'll be a real challenge to get the 12 quote unquote best that we got, which is why having a deep roster and having these competitions matters. What you'd like to see is see four or five of these guys play so well this summer where you're like, wow, how are they going to keep them off the team for Paris? That wasn't the case in 2019. As we talked about Jason Taylor, the only player that played on the world cup team that played in the Olympics would ended up being two years later. So uh, you know, and I look, these games are on early in the morning. I think the first two games are on at 8, uh, 38, 40 Eastern. The The first game they play in the World Cup is against New Zealand. The, uh, the, the challenging team in their group is Greece, which is they haven't ruled out that Giannis could, couldn't show up for the actual World Cup games, but they're staying way away from saying they think he's going to be there. Uh, and then Jordan is... Yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say, basically, anybody else but Giannis, I think, would have already been ruled out. But Giannis is a crazy man, so who knows? If, I don't know if he's going to play or not, but he's at I, least going to—he's at least left the door open still. I can't see him playing, but again, it is still three weeks until the games actually happen—the actual World Cup games. And Jordan is the other team in their in their group. But there are stuff. There is stuff to watch with this group, and there and it does it does matter. And of course, with Team USA, typically. If they win, it's expected. And if they lose, it's a three-alarm fire. More Hoop Collective podcast after this. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high-quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call or click ranger.com or just stop by now let's talk about the play of the week the pressure to follow up hypnotic and cognac weighing heavily on the team hypnotic was in the cup blue and ready for the play and boom on yeho tequila came in with a smooth assist to hypnotic's tropical fruit finish shaken strained poured it was green and good the playmaking splash shifted the tempo another great cocktail from the hypnotic team Every season is hypnotic and tequila season. Hypnotic liquor, Bardstown, Kentucky, 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. Well, one guy who we haven't mentioned who could be a candidate to play on the team next year, and we don't mention him even though he was on the team 10 years ago, is Anthony Davis, mm. and who's actually kind of an ideal international player and would be an ideal big man, but we never bring him up because he's almost always recovering from an injury in the summer. And he might've played in 16 in Rio, but I'm not even sure that um, he played then. Anyway, the reason we're talking about him now is that he signed the three-year contract extension. We talked a lot about it last week about his options. And we sort of got into the weeds a little bit. Bontemps really took us through the difference between having a player option and an early termination option and why that that differentiation really made his decision to extend now or not a little bit more of a thought process without getting deep, deep, deep into it. In talking to Bobby Marks, when Anthony Davis did the extension in 2020, by doing it this way, having a five-year contract that he could opt out of the last year, as opposed to a four-year contract where he could pick up the last year, doing the contract that way enabled him to have a full trade bonus in the event that he was traded. And when you sign a five-year contract and you're not sure about LeBron James and he'd been traded before in his career, although he asked for it. I was going to say. 
The other thing was. Oh, he was really disappointed about that previous trade. Let me tell you. Well, he gave up his trade bonus, if you remember. That was a whole nother saga. But in 2020, the salary cap was reducing. And so making getting that trade kicker had some value. Making that decision and structuring the contract that way in 2020 has ended up costing him a little bit of money. That said, he did sign a contract extension that will average $60 million a year with the Lakers. And he took the full three years and bond temps. It is a good piece of business for the Lakers. There's some measure of risk because of his injury history. And he only plays 60 ish games a year on any good year. But as you, as we broke down, it was the best decision for the Lakers to get this done. They got it done on the first day. Yeah, I think it's a win for the Lakers to get this done. There is some risk, but to get him locked into an extension, to have him on the team, to have an anchor player that you could say, hey, star players, we got a big that's sitting here. It's an all defense caliber player. That's an all star caliber player. You could come play with this guy. We have seen over time. It is very difficult to get guys to come be the first guy somewhere. But if you have guys there, that gives you the ability to bring more guys there. And if you're the Lakers, you always have to be confident You're going to have guys find ways to get on your team. And so having Anthony Davis there as a guy for them to build around, because look, who knows what LeBron James is going to do in a year. He could be in a free agent. He could go play somewhere else. He could retire. Who knows what he could do? So to have Anthony Davis on the team, locked in on this extension for the next several years, I think it's a nice piece of business for them. By him doing it this way, it gets them a year off the deal like we talked about the other day. So his contract ends at 35 instead of 36. That's a win for them. And, you know, he's a guy that if he could stay on the court should age pretty well because he is such a big physical presence that's not flying around as much anymore. He's more or less a center now, even though he doesn't want to be called a center and wants to play next to one. Um, And I, I think in general, this is very solid business for the Lakers to get this done, to have him there. And, you know, the one guy I didn't really talk much about, Austin Reeves has had a really nice training camp here. You could argue that's the best contract in the league now, the one that he's on. Him and Jalen Brunson might have two of the best, and Mikael Bridges, three guys that are all here. They're all contenders for that um, distinction. But Reeves, I think he's going to play a lot on this team. Steve Kerr's talked him up a bunch, and he looks really good and fits in with the level of competition that's here. And so you not only have him locked up for four years, you have AD locked up for five, and now you have the ability, whether LeBron is there or not, to have a couple anchor pieces for the Lakers going forward to give them guys to build around over the next several years. Yeah. And when you talk about best contract, obviously you're talking about the, on the non rookie deal. Uh, right. Obviously. Yeah, yeah for sure. Uh, but not a hundred percent agree with you. And I was going to bring Reeves up because what you've got now with AD and Reeves is regardless of what happens with LeBron, And I think that's probably still a couple years down the road, but regardless, let's say it's two years down the road. Well, Austin Reese has a couple of years left on his deal. AD is still long-term. You know, the Lakers are going to absolutely be able to remain relevant and attractive to, and at this point, it's maybe it's a free agent. More than likely, it's whoever wants to be traded. The Lakers, it's, it's not like the Lakers ever struggled to um, generate interest. It's just there was a stretch there where it's just like, God, I don't want to go there and lose. Well, if, if you've got AD and Austin Reeves, I think you're going to have a pretty good chance to go there and be part of the of, of a maybe even a top six roster, Wendy. <laughs> top six in the West at the at the very least. Yes. Yes, I I believe we've talked a lot about the Lakers summer. This is the best move that they made this summer, getting this done. I know you guys look at me like Austin Reeves, Austin Reeves, Austin Reeves. They offered Austin Reeves the max they could offer him. There was no negotiation there. Yeah, <laughs> I would. I would the same thing with AD. Yes, that's right. I would say getting that, getting Austin Reeves on that contract and not having somebody come in and offer him the hundred million dollar deal. I know, but that had nothing to do pill. with them. What, what did they? Did they? Did they put the Spurs under hypnosis? They had. They had oh. nothing. Yeah, this is I. You're, it's two of the. It's six and one or half dozen of the other. They offered one guy the most they could offer. They offered the other guy the most they could offer. This is a more valuable guy to have under contract at this number. That's all. They're both. They're the two best moves of the summer by a very significant amount. Despite all the talk about all the other. Well, that I, I think we all agree. Hey, on. I don't know. D'Angelo Russell should be making twenty five to twenty seven million a year, according to some folks who are in that range. <laughs> all right, we're not going inter 
company crime here. I did. But uh, what are you talking yeah. about? <clears throat> anyway, that was a that was a that was a, a an important move for the Lakers, and obviously AD and the Lakers had thought a lot about it because it got done within hours and it was formalized over the weekend. It's already signed. So it's official. I suspect, I suspect something similar will happen with Josh Hart in several days when he can sign his extension with the Knicks, as we've talked about yeah. prior. prior. Also, that's, you put a hundred right? in front of me. I'll sign it real quick too. Yeah. Wednesday or Thursday, I think is, I don't remember which day it is, but sometime this week, Josh is uh, eligible to be extended. I believe it's Thursday. Yeah. Okay. That's, uh, that's, that's probably going to happen too. Okay, well, we'll see how Team USA looks on Monday night against Puerto Rico. And uh, we'll see how some other guys in the rest of the uh, games that are being played across the world right now. Uh, some warm-up games are going to look. And um, we'll have some more basketball to talk about, some actual basketball basketball to talk about when we talk to you next week. I've got a, um, a special guest lined up. I don't want to jinx it. i got a special guest lined up for next Friday's podcast. And... It's a guy that I, that I never thought I would ever get to speak on the record. I'm not sure. I'm gonna, I'm hopefully I'm not jinxing this more, but um, <laughs> he has agreed to join us on the record. So I'm excited to listen to it. I'll say that. Yeah. So uh, look forward to that. It's it's not somebody who is a household name, but um, if you care about the NBA, you should know a lot more about this uh, individual. So. With that tease out of the way, thank you for listening to Hoop Collective Podcast. We'll talk to you in a few days. Adios, amigos. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms or restrictions apply.